Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I missed you so much. Erin, I missed you so much. Wait, tell me, how is all your time off? Oh, well, I haven't gotten anything done. I, I thought I would be able to like read books and do projects and stuff, but like babies have no schedule and you never get enough time to complete any tasks in between when the baby needs you. Like I had this idea that I would be able to just put her down for a nap and then go like sit down on a couch with a book and read. No. Very Downton Abbey feeling. No, yeah, no, there's there's no leisure time. It's like sitting down and being like, oh, okay, well, I don't have the baby right now. And then the baby starts crying again. But she's getting to be a cute little person. She um, She's she, an adorable little person. She babbles a lot. She looks just like Josh, which I find, she does. To, be, I find to be very rude of biology. But that's a thing, right? Right. Babies always look like their dads for paternity. Yeah. Or so they say. Because cavemen would just like, <laughs> if the baby didn't look enough like them, they'd be like, meh, not my responsibility. And like <laughs> run, run off. But my husband isn't a caveman. Why can't my baby look a little like me? She, yeah, she looks just like him. She's very cute. Um, she doesn't really do anything. Um, she has a button nose. She does have a little button nose, which is which is pretty cute. Um, but yeah, I've been, you know, really missing you, really missing the Missed show. You. you know, I took like a month off. Um, I didn't take in any news because I just was like too stressed out. And it was really nice at first. But then after a few weeks, my world started to feel a little bit too small. Yeah. And now I'm kind of like ready to be back into the bullshit again. Really? I feel like I could maybe have taken a little bit more of a break over the holidays, but like so much bad stuff was happening. You're like, well, how am I going to know how many Omicron infections there were today if I don't watch CNN? Right. I think I think it's just like you got to do like a dry January, but with news that bums you out. Just like take a little bit of time. We've talked about this in the show before. Just take yeah. a little bit of time and be like, I'm taking X amount of time and I'm not taking in anything. And a need to know basis. Kind yeah, of. exactly. Like every single time I would turn on the news or like NPR or the BBC, I'm not talking like annoying punditry right. stuff. I'm talking about like legitimate news. Every time I would turn it on, I would be like, nope, tapping out. And like, yep, not relevant right now. <laughs> nope, can't, not doing it. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get into news for today. Wait, before we get into news, can I say something else? Yeah. Just so our listeners know, you and I have been joking about how maternity leave is not time off, so I don't want anyone thinking I was legitimately asking what you did on your winter vacation. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's not time off because Alyssa, you've been getting pictures of Juniper, yeah. basically a constant stream of them. It's a joy. Because you've asked for them. I'm not just yeah, like spamming I, I have asked. I'm like, please send all the pictures of the baby doing anything that's adorable, which is everything. <laughs> This week, we are joined by Dr. Heather Irabunda, Megan Gailey, and Kara Clank to tackle the following questions. One year later, have we learned anything from the January 6th insurrection? What does postpartum mean? And why does it suck so bad? And did any good movies come out in 2021? All this and more right now. Okay, let's get into the news. I have a question that I was thinking about last night. I had CNN on in the background, and they were talking about Sean Hannity exchanging text messages with the Trump White House on in the run-up to 
uh, the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which is now exactly a year ago. Um, and here's the question that I came up with, because it's all, you know, it's Jim Jordan and, or, you know, it's Mark Meadows and um, it's Sean Hannity and Donald Trump and all of these people exchanging text messages like they're running some kind of heist. And my my big takeaway question is, Alyssa, how do we fight the scourge of unattractive people with horrible personalities who turn to politics in order to satisfy their pathological need for attention? How do we fix it? Shit, I don't even know. I mean, I guess it's only to stop giving them attention, right? Isn't that the only thing that's going to make them tap out and try to find something else? Or do they just mutate like the virus and become worse until they get more and more attention? That's, yeah, that's my question because I feel like January 6th was like an outbreak of infection. If we're going to go around, we're going to, you know, yeah. take take this metaphor. It felt like an outbreak. Like we had something that was kind of, you know, America had a sort of cold and it was like, no, I don't really need to deal with this. I don't need to deal with this. And then it got so bad that it actually had to go to the hospital, essentially. Yeah. So like, so, you know, I remember last January 6th, it was me and you were recording a show. And the news was happening on a Wednesday, as it tends to do. I remember getting out of recording with you. We had uh, we had just interviewed Essie Cup yep. uh, about Hilaria Baldwin. And then we got out, and the Capitol was in the process of being stormed. And we were like, oh, okay. What are we going to do about this? Um, but, you know, between last year and this year, I've thought a lot about the people who are sort of the ringleaders of the January 6th sort of insurrection mindset and, you know, who they are and how much ink they get, how much airtime they get, and whether they deserve all the attention they're getting, if that just eggs them on. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I I do think it eggs them on. I also think it's interesting what we've seen in the past couple of weeks as the January 6th commission has unearthed more and more and more is like also how many of them are actually just like playing a role, right? Like this is Sean Hannity being like, this is fucking out of control. And Laura Ingram being like, yo, you're ruining everybody's legacy. Like stop this. But then on that same day, getting on television and being like, these were just tourists. These were just tourists. And so it's interesting because they are actually, I mean, I don't know what I respect more, you know? I mean, like if you actually mm-hmm. are that dark hearted and that evil and you realize that by playing the role and instigating and being hateful that you get better ratings and more clicks and like a, a primetime television show or whatever the fuck it is they get, that it's, it's, I mean, your point is exactly correct. Like, the more awful they are, the more attention they get, but it just makes them mutate worse. hmm I mean, and you brought up more views and more clicks. Like, I think cable news viewership in uh, across all the channels, including Fox News, has dropped right. big time since Donald Trump hasn't been in office. So it's almost like not paying attention to these people is also bad for the news business. Yes. Because not featuring, like, the, the most wacky— out there people um, makes politics get boring again, which is, I'm, and I'm using like quotes, quotes around right. politics because, you know, things that affect the lives of Americans and the the continuance of our democracy shouldn't be boring, but it's not like professional wrestling. Totally. I feel like the Sean Hannity's and the Donald Trump's of the world kind of think of politics as a spectacle. Right. And 
people like Sean Hannity, you know, it's it, if to continue the, I don't know why I'm thinking about professional wrestling, but I mean, I can go know, deep it, in professional wrestling for what it's worth. So can I. Okay. I so used like, to watch it with my dad in the 80s. We would watch okay. like WCW. <laughs> so these guys are all literally cosplaying like Randy Macho Man Savage, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Rowdy Roddy Piper. They're like, <laughs> who are we going to tag in? Brett the Anvil Neidhart. They're like, who? Brett the Hitman Hart. Yes. Jake the Jim Snake Jim the Anvil Roberts. Neidhart. Yes. The, the, the million dollar man. It's like every one of these guys is like on the they're in the they're in the game and they're like, shit, this isn't working. Let's jump over the the rope and get a chair. And you know yeah. what I mean? Like they're doing all of this. My God, wasn't Donald Trump in one of those? He was. Fucking A. It's not even an analogy anymore. It's true. <laughs> I know. And there's so much cross-pollination. It's like the Donald Trumps and the Sean Hannity, the Fox News of the world. Yeah are in the wrestling ring and they're pantomiming these big things. But what essentially happened on January 6th is the crowd decided to pick up folding chairs and start beating the shit out of other people for real. You know, and and I think that there are some people that weren't comfortable with that becoming real. <laughs> and then there were some people that were comfortable with it becoming real, like the former president seems like he was comfortable with it. So, I mean, do you think we've learned anything as a country since January 6th? Do you think that there will ever be like a satisfactory outcome to what happened on January 6th? You know, I've thought about a lot about this. Um, to me, the only satisfactory thing that can come from the January 6th commission is that Donald Trump can't run for president again. I mean, this seems to me like, I don't care if he goes to jail. I mean, he's not going to go to jail. But the interesting thing I keep thinking is that like Liz Cheney clearly has a play. Like there's something, she keeps talking about dereliction of duty, the dereliction mm -hmm. of duty, how he watched this stuff happen. And how as commander in chief, the question to answer is, did he stop the certification of the election, which would be a crime, I guess, or something. Mm -hmm. But if, or did he try to? Did he yeah. try to? And so it's, to me, it's like if if the outcome of this is a finding that precludes him from ever running for president again, I think that that is something. Because I think the problem right now is Republicans are like, look, there's nothing to see here. Some of these lunatics went to jail. Like it's something that got out of hand. And it's like, no, you're, mm -hmm. there's like such a trail of complicity. The Rolling Stone interview with Peter Navarro is one of the most chilling things I have read where he's all like, like you find out by reading this, the plans that they had are insane. And what stopped their attempted coup was actually that these crazy people got violent and the Republicans who apparently were already on board with this were like, whoa, 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 this went too far. And mm -hmm. so they had had a plan that had reached out to a hundred members of Congress who were, according to him, on board with how they would stop the certification. And it started, like their plan was unfolding. You know, Cruz was supposed to object with that Gomert, Gospar's person mm -hmm. uh, to Arizona. And he did. And that was supposed to be the beginning. And they were going to get enough states to object. And then as everybody knows, because this was actually a Veep storyline, every state in this case, if, if neither person had 270 electoral votes, it comes down to one vote per state, which would have made Donald Trump president. This was their whole plan. And like I said, it was like season five or six of Veep. And mm -hmm. the thing that stopped it were that the crazy people got too crazy. So I think that there's a real fundamental scary problem that we haven't really stopped the problem. And I think that the only thing that would scare people enough maybe to think that this was all a very bad idea is if Donald Trump is sidelined for the rest of his life. But we don't know if that'll happen. Yeah. 
something that I've been thinking about with the January 6th commission, just in the context of what Washington has accomplished overall with Democrats holding the presidency, the House and the Senate, I feel like a lot, the average American doesn't, doesn't really understand how like the day-to-day work of a member of Congress looks. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, and a person can be on a commission and also be working on legislation and stuff. But I think that there are people who see what is happening in D.C. And there's all this focus in the Beltway media and among members of Congress. There's all of this talk of January 6th. And in the meantime, um, Build Back Better has sort of been sidelined. And and a lot of the the things that would help ordinary Americans on the ground aren't really moving forward. Right. So I feel like what a lot of voters, and this is just, I maybe shouldn't be putting this out into the universe, but I feel like what a lot of voters are seeing is elected officials who are like repeatedly pursuing this thing that was a slight directly to them. Mm-hmm. So like voters see January 6th as something, the people that were targeted were elected officials, right. you know? And so they see elected officials focusing way more. And 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 this is, again, I'm, I, I'm playing devil's advocate, not like a white guy in a philosophy right. class, but I'm just <laughs> kind of like reasoning through this. Like, you know, they're, what they're seeing is a Congress that is spending a lot of time and giving a lot of airtime to January 6th. And in the meantime, they're not able to get this Build Back Better agenda pushed through. And that worries me. And I hate being one of those people that's like, that worries me for 2022 or whatever. But it it does kind of. Um, I don't know if what I'm saying makes any sense to you. No, it makes total sense to me, except I think that there's an interesting— Look, I think that the media has been so jazzed for something new and exciting to talk about, right? And I think that the one thing that's a little interesting about the January 6th committee is some of the things that they have uncovered are in fact surprising. You know, Don Jr. texting Mark Meadows to be like, get my dad to stop this shit is surprising information. Like when I read it, I was like, that can't be true. And I think that the problem with the Build Back Better narrative or lack of narrative is that for the summer, it was like, yeah, it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. Look at all the shit that's going to be in it. I feel like we didn't really, that the Democrats didn't really sort of level set expectations for what's possible. And so now the back and forth, especially right before the holidays was so fucking tedious that I think nobody could listen to it. It was, it was, it was mansion watch, you know, every day. Mm -hmm. And that is as boring. But I think that one of the things, if I were a Democrat, I mean, I am a Democrat, but if I were, were, (laughs) actually, Erin, I have an announcement. Um, Oh, wow. You heard it here first. If I were an elected official, I would be on, in Congress, if I were a congressional person, I would be on my local fucking TV every day if I were a Democrat being like, look at this road that's being built, okay? That was from the infrastructure bill. Look at this, look at this, look at these problems. Here's here what's going on in, in the lives of people right now. Guess what? If Build Back Better, like I would want to be on television. I don't, I don't need elected officials like fucking Twitter fighting. They should be communicating because I think that like we're gonna have a real problem if come the midterms, we haven't touted the successes. And I know that there are losses and that there are things that we wanted that we haven't seen yet. 
But I think that people need to know how Build Back Better would affect their everyday lives. And I feel like the media is just focused on like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Kristen, whatever her name is, cinema. And being like, here's the drama. And nobody has the bandwidth for the drama anymore. You know, that's the, that's the, there's, it's like enough. Guess what? Don't, I don't give a shit. She's like, what are they doing? They, they, no one is focusing on me. I have problems and no one is focusing on me. And the Republicans are still working this like, you're aggrieved because nobody's helping you, but we're going to help you, which is a lie, but I still think resonates with some people. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think that Beltway Media is really obsessed with drama and castle intrigue as it applies to the things that surround them. Right. But there's sort of like, I don't know, it's like up their own asses. And I think that the death of local media has really contributed to a totally. loss of a loss of local interest being represented anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I don't know. I, I'm I'm worried about this year. I'm worried I every too. year. Totally. But I'm a, I'm especially worried about this year. Um, I feel like all of the I feel like the way that Congress deals with or tries to get work done is is not effective. And I and I feel like the average American doesn't really see how all of this is helping them. Right. Do you know what totally. I mean? Like I guess on a kind of theoretical level, like punishing people who storm the U.S. Capitol is good for America and good for totally. all Americans. But it's not the same as having the child tax credit deposit in your bank account At every all. month. It's not even remotely you know, close. Exactly. In terms of the daily lives of Americans. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm worried about this year. Um, we're going to be talking more about this, I think, as as the year unfolds and as we march toward whatever we're marching toward. Um, I want to say really quick, we, uh, speaking of people who don't need any more attention, Marjorie Taylor Greene got suspended from Twitter. Yeah. Um, I saw some analysis from Chris Saliza, the um, CNN person who is usually wrong about everything. This was a this was good. This was the blind squirrel finding a nut. <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote something called, what does Marjorie Taylor Greene do all day? And I think that is the most important question here. She's not on any committees. She can't tweet all day anymore. Like, what does she do? What does she, what does she do other than just rack up fines for not wearing masks in the Capitol? Yeah. And she seems like a real waste of a a congressional seat. And I hope that the people of Georgia can get that shit straightened out because how embarrassing for them. Super embarrassing. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, also big week for white women getting in trouble. Yeah. Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty on Monday, um, because of the fuckery that was afoot with her former company, Theranos. She was found guilty on four charges of defrauding investors. She faces up to 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000 plus restitution for each count. What do you make of this, Alyssa? I mean, good. The fuck? What a lunatic. I mean, look, there's <laughs> there's a lot of like, look, there's a lot of jiggery pokery that goes on in Silicon Valley. But like- oh. Is that the only Scalia quote that you're ever going to use? Is it, the only Antonin? Wait, is, is he, does he say Antonin jiggery Antonin Scalia pokery? wrote jiggery pokery, I think, into a Supreme Court opinion. Okay, I didn't know that. I got it from Shane Smith, who used to talk about creating jiggery pokery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. But, but, I mean, there are ways to defraud people, and there are bad things you can do. 
But creating a company where you you know you're lying to people about medical results is about one of the sickest, most depraved things I think a person can do. Yeah, it's pretty sick and depraved. A woman was told she was HIV positive when she wasn't. Like, I mean, this is crazy shit. This woman should be, I mean, she is the ultimate, and this is a euphemism when it comes to her, she's the ultimate Janet from another fucking planet. Like, she is such <laughs> a fucking weirdo. Yeah, she is totally Janet from another planet. But I will say this about the the bad medical test results. Like, if you got test results that said you had AIDS or HIV and then found out that you didn't, that day that you find out you didn't is, is a the great best day. day ever. You know what's, it's a great day. You know what's bad? So what is— when you get your test results and they tell you you're fine and then you find out you got some levels that mean you might have cancer. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Right? But, you know, if if Holmes's tests were only giving people incorrect news that was bad, I would say her defense could have argued that in a way she was creating the best days of people's lives <laughs> over and over again. Um, you know, this the, the Elizabeth Holmes thing and her complete uh, cluelessness about how unacceptable her behavior was makes me think that maybe all of Silicon Valley is sort of steeped in bullshit. And there are a lot of companies out there that have a lot of money behind them that are saying they can do something, but actually can't do the thing that they say they can do. Like, I think that Holmes believes that she was acting in a way that is part of the culture. I agree. I agree with that. Where she was operating. And I'm not excusing her at all. What I'm doing is like condemning the rest of the like disrupting tech bros, both men and women of Silicon Valley. Like, for example, I'm very glad to see, I think that that Elizabeth Holmes deserved, you know, to be punished for what she did. At the same time, I think literally within hours of the verdict, a story popped about Adam Newman from WeWork, who is a known fucking lunatic, being like, you know what? I'm starting an apartment empire. Like he's starting some business of with apartments. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. Hold on a second. Why has no one gone? No, why has no one gone down the rabbit hole on him? Like he, there has to be some. There's like WeWork documentaries, right. like, About how nuts he is, but he's still out there, just starting a new thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It se- seems bad. A lot of stuff seems bad. Also, uh, Julianne Maxwell was found guilty on five counts last week: one count of sex trafficking a minor, one count of sex trafficking conspiracy, and three counts of conspiring to transport minors with the intention of illegal sexual activity. She was the real Pizzagate, apparently. She, I like to call her Jizz, because I don't feel I should have to learn how to say her name when she was a sex trafficker. But (laughs) she, the best part of what's come out in the past couple of weeks was that her husband broke up with her over the phone. (laughs) She got dumped when she was in jail. Is there any, look, if anybody deserves to get dumped in jail. It's her. It's her. Like, Elizabeth Holmes does not deserve to get dumped in jail. No. But Maxwell, absolutely. And here's my other question about her. Like, I didn't even know she was married. I thought that she legit had like a weird arrangement with Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) Yeah, I really didn't delve too far into her life. No, so that was an interesting development in many ways. Yes, that that is an interesting fact. Um, Another lesson from the Maxwell case, because I don't want to learn. I think Jelaine, that's correct? Jelaine, I think that's right. Yeah, well, spell it right, <laughs> Jelaine. Um, here's another thing. Ladies, if you're with a bad guy or if you're allied with a bad guy, that guy is not going to go to the mat for you. No. That guy is not. You are going to get 
you are going, this is a great example of why you should not stand by your man if your man is a real piece of shit because pieces of shit will treat you like pieces of shit treat people. You will be on the hook when they try to get out of trouble. He went to prison. He took the pin out of the grenade, offed himself, threw the grenade at her and was like, Godspeed. Bye. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, look, <laughs> who could have expected a really terrible person would do that to their closest ally. No, bad people will not reward you. It's the Donald Trump paradigm. Yes. Like, if you align yourself with a person who is bad, they will not protect you when shit goes down. They just won't. No, no. There's no code. No, there is no code. Um, And then real quick before we take a break. um, Oh, I have a toast to the country of France. Oh, yes, 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 yes. France is offering free birth control for all women under 25, which is great. Amazing. Um, yeah, which I think is really great. It's it's to uh, expand the plan that, that existed before, which uh, targeted under 18s. So it used to be that if you're under 18, you could get free birth control. Now it's if you're under 25, because they didn't want people to stop taking birth control because they couldn't afford it. So uh, I find that to be a, a great move, and uh, birth control should be free. I think it is a great move. And I actually had one quick off-the-cuff toast. Are you ready? Yes. Governor Kathy Hochul of the great state of New York, uh, in her State of the State address, will be introducing a measure for term limits for the governor and uh, about three or four other positions. So let me just say that after people have run for governor, after these many years of Cuomo, you have to love that it's the first woman to ever be governor who's like, yo, I am shutting this shit down. And, (laughs) uh, And so anyway, I appreciate that. And good work there, Gov. She is an upside surprise. She's an upside. You know what she is? I think she's just A-B, all business. Like, she is, she's got her fucking cup of coffee going into the office, just gets shit done, goes home, and I'm like, I'm for it. Mm -hmm. And also, Mary Steenburgen could play her in a biopic. Without question, that is a great casting call. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have personal political About the postpartum period. Alyssa, you're going to sit this one out, right? I am. As a 46-year-old with no kids, I feel like it's time for me to make room for other people. (laughs) But you're going to be back for I Feel Petty. Obviously, because I'm petty as fuck now that you're back. Yay. Okay. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that proves that the feminists are reproducing this week, at least. Um, I want to bring in my panelists. First off, we have Megan Gailey. You can listen to her Colts podcast, Go Horse, and Megan Fun of Sports. Megan, I f- did your dad write those those titles? Because those are extreme dad joke titles. No, he didn't, but he's proud of me. Yeah, definitely proud. <laughs> That's great. Um, up next, she's a returning Hysteria champ. She's a comic and host of her own podcast, That's Messed Up, an SVU pod. It's Kara Clank. Kara, welcome. 
Hi, thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, she is a Brooklyn-based OB, a reproductive and sex health advocate, an army vet, and now has her own podcast called Advisory Cervix. I feel like I need to pause. <laughs> These podcast names got— Kara is the only one that has, like, an adult name. And then we've got, like, Advisory <laughs> Cervix, Go We don't Horse. have a punny name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can listen to Advisory Cervix um, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are excited to welcome back to the show Dr. Heather Irabunda. Dr. Heather, welcome. Thank you for having me back. Well, this is my first show back since yay, I had— yay, uh, back. I know. I've got a baby. She's— She's like a couple rooms over sleeping, oh, I think. I don't know. A celeb. She's a, celeb. a cele she's a celebrity baby. Um, but you know, before I had her, I you know, we didn't really have anybody on the show who had kids. And so I didn't really feel super comfortable leading discussions about the experience of pregnancy, um, having children, and, and all of those issues. I'm comfortable interviewing people, but not really talking about them firsthand. But now you know, I have a kid. Megan Gailey is expecting one to roll in in a few months. Kara's got two kids, and we've got a doctor who specializes in helping women and pregnant people have kids. So, like, let's have this conversation that we've been waiting to have for several years. I want to apologize in advance to my father-in-law who listens to this podcast because I probably— <laughs> I will be talking about my taint a little bit today. <laughs> there um, you go. No, no, no wow. conversation <laughs> about pregnancy and postpartum care is complete without discussing the taint. Um, <laughs> it's necessary. It's necessary. So, Dr. Heather, um, I want to start with you. Since you're our expert here, um, can you talk a little bit about what the postpartum period is and um, how— valuable the information is that's already out there that people are getting about it? Like, are people fully informed about it? What do people know? What don't people know? Just give us the quick elevator pitch of postpartum. <laughs> of postpartum. So classically, it's thought about like the first 42 days after giving birth, but really that's like kind of interesting because I think it came from, and it's not that I think it's actually in data, that it came from trying to figure out when women could go back to doing farm work and heavy lifting <laughs> after they've delivered a baby out of their vaginas or whatever, right? And so um, we really think that it's more like a year after at the very least. And really the rest of your life is kind of a big postpartum period, to be <laughs> honest, because, you know, as long as you have gone through that situation, you know, you've had a baby, you will constantly be reminded of that situation through various parts of your life going forward. But really the first year or so is when you're dealing with all the changes that your body went through um, recently as it carried another human and then expelled it and then um, is recovering from that. Okay. And Kara, you have two kids. Yeah, I um, do. What did you expect or know about the postpartum period before you had kids? And what was something that you discovered after? Well, I had friends that had had, obviously, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, which I discovered were two different things um, from a friend that had had postpartum anxiety. Um, and so I was prepared for, you know, anything to happen with a big hormone drop. I, I feel fortunate that I did not have, like, a, a very – um, mentally uh, a, a difficult postpartum period, but um, I definitely 
Yeah, I didn't, I, I couldn't expect what was happening to my body at all. I mean, I had to get Botox in my butt, you guys. Wait, it <laughs> what? Wait, it what, wait, explain. I have, this is, this is a new thing for me. What, what, why did yeah, you Dr. have to get Heather's Botox like, in your butt? I know. <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> Talk about it. I just, I mean, like, I mean, you, you, uh, you opened the taint floodgates, Aaron. So, <laughs> gross. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's some horrible things that happen, t- tearing and then like, you know, constipation where it's hard to have bowel movements. And sometimes if you're not healing on your own, you need to freeze those parts so that they can stop being hurt and so that you can heal and nothing freezes things better than Botox. Yeah. Botox yep. works. Say, say yeah. what you will about it, but it, yeah. it totally works in your so, face. Yeah. My butt looks butt. like fucking 10 years younger. <laughs> there you go. There you go. She's a college um, grad. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, um, what have you been like preparing yourself for when it comes to like the time immediately after having a baby? And what are some things that you, um, what are some things that you hear about that you're not, like, you're not quite comfortable with? Um, this is, uh, the, this is the first time I've been a panelist where I'm like, I think you guys just want to scare me. Uh, Like, like, Megan seems like she's too easy breezy posting these bump pics and we need to really bring her back down to earth. Um, I, you know, I was a, a nanny and I started with a newborn when he was 11 weeks old. And so I do feel like, I'm like, listen, I know babies and stuff, but the period from like water breaking to 11 weeks is what I'm the most terrified of because it seems so uncertain. And even the idea of having a birth plan is like, sure, okay, I'll have a plan, but it's going to go out the window. Right. Um, so I'm definitely... I'm definitely worried about the the labor itself and then being like, what is my husband going to be doing? What's going to be the COVID of it all? Well, my, my mom was a labor and delivery nurse and so and taught Lamaze for decades. So I want her in the room. But if Omicron is still raging, is she not going to be able to be in there? So it's it's kind of like a constant evolution. I was told last week um, with my OBGYN's voice sounding alarmed that I have a large baby. So it's like, okay, I need to probably start mentally preparing that maybe I'm going to have a C-section. And what what would those two weeks of healing look like in my house if I'm not able to do a lot? And, and I jokingly say, like, I'm someone who does um, take my body and appearance, like, it matters to me that I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have everything put back to where it was. But it's like, that may cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and (laughs) that may just not be in the cards. And am I going to have to just come to terms with like, yeah, having a loose butthole um, because it's like, can I only, if if it's Botox in my butthole or my face, I'm going face, you know, Happy. like that's what people see. You don't so, have to choose. Okay. It's is it a two? It's a you two for one. You use the same bile. You use some for your face and some for your butthole. See, that is eco-conscious Botox use right there. Save a canister. Use it on the face and butthole. Don't waste a drop. well Megan I remember kind of having a similar like tornado of 
uncertainty when it came to pregnancy and the birth. And I tried to cope with it by learning as much as I could about every possible scenario, which ended up, I think, being a way for me to occupy my time. But I don't know if it really helped me reduce my anxiety like once things were in motion. But you brought up something that's really interesting, and I want to pivot to Dr. Irabunda real quick. Um, you mentioned that like people are people scare expectant parents or people use anecdotes of what they'd been mm-hmm. through to like try to scare people who aren't parents at all. Um, and Dr. Heather, I want I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Like, do you think that a person who hasn't had kids should be scared because of other people's postpartum stories? Um, I don't think they should be scared because I feel like it's just like Yelp reviews or like (laughs) Google, right? People are only going to talk about really good stuff or really bad stuff. They're not going to talk about the just okay stuff. Like, you know what? Like, I didn't get my butt ripped from, you know, I wasn't, (laughs) my whole tank didn't rip. Like, you know what I mean? Like, people are not talking about that, right? So they're always talking about like, listen, I had to get Botox, things were bad, or this is what happened to me, or this is what happened to my friend. I was even guilty of it as being an OBGYN. So like, most of my friends were having their first child when I was in residency, beginning of my career. And, you know, as like grumpy, like resident type, I would like go to brunch with them and then be like, oh, you're pregnant. Let me tell you about all the like random crazy things that I saw, you know, in the last month since I've seen you on labor and delivery. And then it wasn't until one of them was like, you know, um, this actually truly scares me into like wanting to do this for myself that I had to think about like the fact that I'm only telling the stories that are the most vivid, the most memorable, the craziest, you know, to me, maybe the funniest or, you know, weirdest, but like, it's not necessarily helpful to someone going through that experience. And really and truly, as someone who's seen a lot of babies being born in a variety of different ways, most times it ends up okay. And everybody is not like emotionally and physically scarred from what has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kara, I want to pivot to you. Megan also brought up like changes that happen to like the body and needing to surgically put them back in place. And I don't <laughs> want to put you totally on the spot because I, I'll talk about my body too, if, if you're more comfortable with me doing that. Um, but, you know, did it take a while for you to feel like your body was yours again? Um, and do you feel like your body is yours now or is it? Yeah, I was going to say uh, any day now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I mean, I definitely think that when people ask me what was like the one thing you were surprised about with uh, pr- pregnancy or motherhood, I, I always just say breastfeeding. Like it was so much more intensive than I thought it was going to be. Like you're just like, and this is not to scare anyone. You're just like, if you choose to do breastfeeding, you are like tethered to your baby for a little while. It is, it's just like, that's the facts of it. There's ways around it, pumping and l- luckily modern, uh, you know, conveniences have helped us with that. But I think especially when breastfeeding, you don't feel like your body's your own. And then I just ended that a month ago. And I'm now I'm kind of like, okay. And I'm just coming out of like, also the brain fog of like, my son still doesn't sleep through the night completely. So like the tiredness and just uh, word recall. I mean, you can even hear me on this podcast sometimes looking for words like that are pretty, I usually know them. And so I would say 
yeah, it takes a little while to really feel like it. And now I'm just sort of starting to feel like, okay, now I, I mean, with the COVID of it all, it's different, but I've been like, okay, now I, I want to get back into working out. And like, for some reason I felt weird about working out breastfeeding. I always felt like I was going to like leak and you know, yes. like my boobs are enormous. They're going to like <laughs> smack me in the face. You know, like I just kind of, I just was like, I've always always like, as soon as I'm done breastfeeding, I will, you know, start the workout regimen again. And so I'm, I'm basically entering that now. So I'll I'll keep you posted, but well, and you have a, a two two and a half year old or yeah. almost three year old and a six month. I mean, like you've been in baby rearing land for a for, while. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it. Karen and I are good friends, um, so it's like I feel like you've been pregnant or having a newborn for three years now. Yes. And yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> it probably four years, because like I mean, yeah. I started trying to get pregnant in like twenty eighteen, yeah, so, like something seventeen. So like, yeah, it's been a long time. And um, yeah, I'm sort of starting now, just finally. And I know for some women, it's like they don't feel that for years after their kids are seven mm-hmm. or ten or eighteen. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, it mm-hmm. does feel like it takes. It's your own journey, but um, for me, I feel like I'm I am getting there uh, slowly. But truly, like, it's weird. There's parts of my body that I'm like, why does this shirt not close? Like, I know my <laughs> boobs are big, but like, it feels like my back widened. Like, how did my back widen getting pregnant? Like, I did, you know what I mean? Like, there's just weird things. And yeah. uh, day by day. <laughs> Here's the thing that one of the things I thought about, and I just, I guess maybe I just have a kind of morbid sensibility. But like, you know, if if like my body were to be like chucked into a bog and nobody <laughs> found me for like 10 years and they dug my body up, they would be able to tell that I'd had a kid. Yeah. My, from my dead body that was like partially decomposed, they would be able to tell from my skeletal remains that I had had a, that I'd had a child. And so like that, I was so nervous when I was pregnant about, first of all, uh, prefacing this by saying this is some like society patriarchy bullshit, but I was really preoccupied with like bouncing back. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I had to, I knew intuitively that that is fucked up. That is fucked up that we put women under any pressure whatsoever to bounce back after they ring a bell that cannot be unrung. Um, <laughs> it's like another un- impossible <laughs> standard. But I was worried about, you know, like I, I've run marathons and I like to hike and climb and I like to, you know, be physical. And I was You do a lot. You do a lot. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Uh, I was worried. I was worried that I would like lose my ability to do those things and that I would like not look the way that I wanted to look, like how you mentioned, Megan. And I feel like we had a lot of, you know, growing up, there was a lot of narratives around maybe our, our mothers or female relatives who, you know, were negative self-talking about their bodies after having kids or like trying to work out, going on like crash diets, which were really on fad in the 80s and 90s. Um, And I will say that, you know, everybody's different and everybody's journey is different. But like Dr. Irabunda mentioned, all of the things that I was scared of were like the worst versions of things, if that makes any sense. Like I was afraid that I would you know, none of my clothes would fit. Or I was afraid that I would have to like keep my clothes in a plastic bin and like have them be my skinny clothes and feel mm-hmm. like bad about myself oh. for, you know, for not being able to fit into them, like, which is bullshit. But, you know, the reality is like after you have a baby, if you're breastfeeding, 
a lot of times your body is just like, all right, now let's just like shrink back down. And I just have this like extra skin now. But you know, it's not, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And I think as long as every time I get the narrative, that's like, oh, you need to bounce back, bounce back, get back to working out. It's like, shut up. That's Mm. not, that's not Mm -hmm. what we're supposed to do. Um, Dr. Irbunda, do you get patients that come in like preoccupied with getting their bodies back after they have kids? And what do you tell them? Every single day, every day (laughs) that I see patients in my office, you know, it's really sad to me because it's, we see how much our society puts pressure on women to be a certain way and how people feel so inappropriate about just being normal. Dude, you grew a whole human, another person, like another another one of you in that body of yours. That's crazy. Like if you think about it in like a very just like, you know, like basic way, it's like kind of crazy. And then when you think about the fact that like men can't do that or people with who don't have uteruses can't do that, right? That makes us pretty special. And so our bodies are going to change with that. And it, you need to give yourself grace because like you were maintaining your own body and then creating another one. Like to me, it's always fascinating because I get to watch people do this all the time and I get to see like the evolution, the growth of it. And really and truly, it's like, yeah, your body is never going to be the same. But, you know, those are little reminders of the person that you grew. Right. And, you know, there's ways for you to feel comfortable in that that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you need to look like the Beyonce. Because Beyonce is like the person who mm-hmm. a lot of um, patients I've had talked to me about, like, because, you know, she had the twins and then she did Coachella. I mean, I'm like also a Beyonce stan, so I'm obsessed. <laughs> but like she did Coachella like a few weeks after and then she was like the thinnest and like rip, most ripped she's ever been. And I'm like... That's also her job. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, her job is to train and to work and to look a certain way. And, like, she also has a lot of help. Like, you know, people don't necessarily talk about that part. But when, you know, you're going back to work because, you know, whatever we can talk about, like, pay parental leave. But, you know, you're going back to work really soon after you had your child. And you're feeding this child and you're bathing this child and you're taking care of this child. Like, the fact that you're still, like, able to wake up in the morning or whatever time of the day is and be, like, a normal human-ish, <laughs> I think is awesome, right? And we need to to think about those things a lot more. And it's hard because, you know, you see the physical changes and you feel, like, awkward about it but like you grew a whole human and you should be proud of that yeah I do I do have to say I have been just amazed at the size of bras that are available um, <laughs> like because, because tr- <laughs> truly like the you know in in the process of I'm I'm breastfeeding my daughter um, because it happened to work out for us. And I would not feel bad about myself if it hadn't worked out for us because, God, breastfeeding pressure is this whole other thing. Um, But with breastfeeding, your boobs get enormous. And like, I am, you know, getting into parts of the alphabet I never thought I would get to before. It's it's truly a miracle what what the human boob it is. can do. It is. It's truly a miracle. So think about this, right? I haven't had kids yet, and I have an age cup. 
So only imagine how much bigger these babies are going to be. It's going to be a disaster. (laughs) I know women that are like, I I don't want to really have kids because I'm worried at how big my boobs will get. Like that my friends that have already are like G's, H, like big, you know? Like, what do you do? Like, where do you get bras? Because I'm like the last. Bra, like, <laughs> not even normal stuff, right? Like, I have to get special bras, and I'm like the upper end of that. So, like, what am I gonna do? You have to get to, like some dark corners of Amazon. They have like <laughs> you. You can like type in sizes, and it'll like come up, and like the they'll have like a model wearing the bra, and it'll be like the, it looks like an industrial like engineering feat. Um, but the women wearing the bras look happy, but that's their job. They're models. <laughs> I mean, I've experienced comments about even how my pregnant body looks and people being like, you're carrying, like, your bump is so cute. You can't tell you're pregnant from the back. Um, and yeah. I'm having a boy. And so people, I guess there's an old wives tale of like, boys keep you pretty and girls make you ugly. And and like, oh, you haven't gained any weight in your arm. Like people say that type of stuff. And it's like, I don't really have any control over this. Um, And I have a mom who is very petite and did bounce back and worked at it too. But like, I have people be like, oh, you'll be fine because your mom is tiny. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's a crazy pressure to put on me that like, if I'm not the size of my mom after having this child, then like, I failed my own genetics somehow Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that's fucked up. Also, like, I'm really glad because my mother has never been, like, a weight mom. But I think there are a lot of people that have mothers that are like, I lost the weight. I'm skinny. And, like, put that pressure on their daughters, which really is, like, fucked up. But it's interesting to me that, like, so much of what we think about postpartum, like, the postpartum experience centers around weight and our appearance when Mm -hmm. so much of what actually happened— I wasn't prepared for, even though people had sort of like implied it for me, because it's things that happen like out of sight. You know, people, you can't see, you know, whatever degree tear a person has and what it feels like to have stitches like in your body. It's not like the very worst pain in the world, but it's like pretty solidly uncomfortable until the and stitches. itchy. Yeah. And, and itchy. It's, mm. Yeah. Mm. It's uncomfortable for like, the weeks that it takes for the stitches to come out on their own. And like, you know, there are other aspects of it that are just not visible and so we're never talked about. Like postpartum depression is not like, it's like extra spicy depression. Mm. It's like, you know, if you're a person that has moments of depression before you're pregnant, it's sort of like that, but like there's no event that triggers it. Like regular depression, there'll be something that happens and then, you know, it'll, for me at least, something will happen and then I'll get depressed as the, you know, I'll, it'll start me down a depressive like little phase. But with postpartum stuff, it was just like, I would just be going about my day and suddenly it was like it would walk up and just slap me in the face no, nothing prompting it whatsoever, 100% hormones, which are another thing that's like totally invisible. Um, So when I was postpartum, luckily um, my OBGYN is really progressive, but she wrote me a Zoloft prescription like preemptively, was like, you're gonna need this, start taking it when you have your kid, like, because I had depressive symptoms when I was pregnant. It's like, I was not prepared for how just like out of know where it was. And then also like the anxiety. Kara, did you ever get like intrusive thoughts? Like, 
Um, you're holding your baby and you're like, what if the ceiling falls down and crushes me and the baby? Like totally <laughs> irrational stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And I would definitely like just be lying there and be like, I don't hear anything. And then think like, oh my God, he, she stopped breathing or, you know, like something like, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, you just start thinking like that. Like I had a friend who, and I love her to death, but like when I first had my baby, she goes, doesn't it just crush you the idea of ever leaving them or something like that, that something could happen to you and you would leave them alone? And I was like, why would you say that to me? Like now that's <laughs> all I'm thinking about. Like, like, cause like before that, it's like, you know, I guess your, your family would miss you, but whatever. Now you're like, oh my God, this person depends on me. Like, why are you bringing up that I might not be with them? Like, but you know, I don't I say that this, to give everybody the same feeling. Just yeah, no, thank get you. those thoughts out of your head. <laughs> I think the three of us are very lucky too to live in California and have OBs and, and Dr. Heather to practice in New York where it's like, I, my friends back in Indiana, they've been like, you need to make sure da, 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 da. And I'm like, I just don't think that's going to be an issue with my doc. I think my doctor is going to be on top of it. Mm -hmm. I have a young female doctor who chose to practice in Pasadena, California. <laughs> I think she's going to be on it. I don't think I'm going to have to be like, hello, I'm sad for like my mom's OB to listen to me. Yeah. Right. They also have you fill out a questionnaire at your pediatrician every yeah. visit until six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it, it, they're pretty intense about it out here. But Megan, I think that you brought up something really interesting, which is like the huge disparity in the mm -hmm. quality of OBGYN care, even within this country. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Heather, I would love to, I don't want to hear a horror story, but you know, on one hand, we have people like you who are really going out there and trying to educate people and be like open-minded and progressive and helpful in a way that feels very modern. But, you know, elsewhere, people aren't getting the same kind of care. Like, have you encountered other OBGYNs or other ways of thinking in the in the specialty that have kind of made you worried about the quality of care their patients are getting? Oh, yes. In a multitude of ways. And I actually want to, you know, talk about like the mental health tip specifically because Many of us who trained, I don't know, within the last like 15 years have been taught, you know what, we treat postpartum depression, we treat depression and pregnancy, we treat anxiety, like there are medications that have been studied in pregnant, you know, people and they're safe and effective for use. And we actually have data and studies to show the negative effects of untreated depression in pregnant and postpartum people to not only themselves, but to their offspring, right? Like we know that it increases the chances of, you know, like a whole bunch of different things, right? And this to me was something that was I was trained on. I was taught this. This was like not a non-negotiable. And then like I would go out and practice and you'd be in these like department meetings where, you know, there are people from different practices, you know, some, you know, some of them are like old guys, whatever. And like you would meet them and talk to them or talk to some of the patients that they've seen. And they would be taken off of all of their antidepressant medications. Like when they started seeing this doc, because they're like, you know, it's so bad for you to be on any like psychoactive meds. It could like have all these like deleterious effects on your like baby and all this stuff. And like, who cares if you still want to get out of bed? It's not about you. It's about this baby that you're like growing. And it's like, 
we know that that's like not a good thing, even for the baby that you're growing. But like, honestly, if the mom or pregnant person, the vessel is not good, that's not good for anyone involved. Right. And it's like, I've had to so many times, like then go back and like, cause you're the young OB, like talk to your patient who was told by like somebody that looks like their dad (laughs) that was Mm -hmm. like, this is going to like ruin your baby. This is going to ruin your pregnancy and whatnot and have to like do the work to like reverse that, you know? So I've seen a lot around like psych stuff, like where it's like there are like Zoloft, for example, is like very well studied both in pregnancy and postpartum. And we know that it's very effective and it works. And I have gotten into it with like, you know, other OBs, psychiatrists even sometimes, like, it's fine for her to be on Zoloft. Like, it's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, I want her to be on Zoloft. I am writing it in the chart. So Mm -hmm. you can make sure to put this patient on Zoloft because, you know, like, it'd be better. But, like, there's that. And then also, too, I don't know if you guys have heard about, like, the husband stitch. Oh, Uh, yes. That makes me furious. Right. Yeah, so gross. So I, um, I trained, I, I trained in the military, but I was still in like the DC metro area. So like, even though like everyone I was dealing with were either actually active duty in the military, there were also people who were dependents and people worked for the government, like Congress people, whatever, right? And so it was very progressive. I hadn't really heard many people talk about that stuff when I was in training, but oh boy, when I left and went to rural upstate New York and like I'd hear like, you know, some of the guys, like, you know, other OBGYNs, because for a little part there, I was the only female OBGYN in that area. So I'd go to these meetings, you'd like talk about this stuff and thought it was so funny. And I'm like, this is horrifying. Like, can you explain what the husband stitch is to our listeners? Just to, just to prep, like you guys, once you hear what this is, if you don't know, you can't go back and unknow it because it's, it's horrible. So basically, it's like, so if you had a tear during your labor and we're repairing it, right? We usually just repair it to make it so that it doesn't bleed and it goes back to what it looked like before, right? And that just means everything's back together, right? But the husband stitch is an extra stitch to make it tighter for your husband's pleasure, and ah. it is the most horrific thing. I once was in a delivery and um, the father of the woman who was giving birth was there, but like behind a curtain, right? And so we deliver the baby. Everybody's like doting over the baby. I'm doing the repair. And her dad yells, are you going to put a little extra stitch in there for her husband? Oh. And I was like... I, like, became completely unhinged. I was, like, I, like, tried to keep it together for, like, two seconds. But I was, like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I would have stitched his mouth closed. Uh, That's, oh, that's horrifying. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, the physical toll that pregnancy that childbirth takes on your body. Like, it's a sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation. The baby's coming out one way or another. C-section, you have, like, you can't really lift anything and you just had a major abdominal surgery. Uh, Vaginal birth, everything down there is sort of a mess until it sort of sorts itself out. Um, I have to say that before I gave birth, I wasn't I don't want to scare you, Megan, because this it's, it's not okay. it's not it's scary. Okay. I'm on the other side of it now. I'm doing I'm doing great. <laughs> and you um, seem happy. 
The um oh yeah, Zoloft is great. I barely cry anymore. Um listen, I'm writing Lexapro in and out, you know? Ooh, like I'm on it now. She word. said, keep it going, girl. I said, I'll go off. Yeah. She said, let's not. <laughs> exactly. That's nice. Me. I'm literally like, why would you want to know what that's like? Like, yeah, why, like, why would what, like are you okay on it? So why do we want to know what it's like when you're not? Totally. So give it to me, Erin. Oh, I was just going to say my pregnancy was not a difficult pregnancy. Um, The postpartum period, the month after, was more difficult than any part of pregnancy. Like, and I wasn't quite ready for it. Like, I had help. Like, Josh has been great. Um, We have a doula, and she's been doing some postpartum doula stuff for us, which is, like, amazing. If you have a doula and she does postpartum doula work, she will come over to your house and, like, hold your baby so you can take a shower or, like, clean your kitchen or do your laundry or just, like, sit there and talk to you. It's just, like, very, very nice to have a a postpartum doula endorse endorse, endorse. Um, but it was harder. The first month after giving birth was harder than all the nine months up to that point. And part of it is just like, not only was I dealing with my own body, it's like, I also have this baby to take care of and babies are at their least charismatic when they are (laughs) four weeks old and, and younger. They are just like complete, they are just like a ball of need and they don't really give, you know, they're not, they're not given anything. They don't smile. They don't laugh. They're just that you just have to take care of them and you feel like biologically like drawn to taking care of them. I found that so much harder. Carol, was it your experience that you found postpartum to be more difficult than being pregnant? I well, my first pregnancy was very easy. Um, my birth was a little bit. Uh, there were some complications, but it's funny because like even though I'll tell people, I'll, I always tell people, I'm like, my birth had so many complications, and I literally told my OBGYN halfway. I go, we gotta stop. We gotta do this another time. And she was like. <laughs> I can see the head. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And so like, like I was, I was in so much pain. I had a lot of like issues with my epidural and stuff. But then the second the baby came out is like, they went, like, I just forgot everything. Like the body does play weird ass Mm -hmm. tricks on you. So you do forget it, even though you're going through a lot of pain. And then the postpartum was tricky, but I went to work five weeks later just because I got an opportunity. And so it was like, my mind was just kind of like, deal with it, you know? Yeah. And, but like with, um, my second pregnancy was tough. So, um, like just in terms of back pain and, and some other stuff. So I don't know the, the, the postpartum, uh, the birth for that was easier. So it's like, it feels like bio biology or mother nature, whatever you want to call it, it's giving you little breaks wherever it's taken things away. I don't know. But yeah, I didn't have horrible postpartum periods, but like I said, it's for everybody's, it's, it, it's different. And but that's um, the thing you have to like prepare for this entire yeah. range of things. Like yeah. it could be like, mm-hmm. you could have a horrible time. You could be fine. Like just with a birth, you could like, when I was in labor, it was the worst pain I've ever experienced. Then I got the epidural, could not feel anything. I pushed yeah. for 10 minutes and she was out. And like that, like the actual pushing part, super easy, could have been really hard. Like there's all these yeah. massive swings that can happen. And and it's like the one thing that's, I guess, that that's uh, constant through everything is like you have a baby at the other side of it. And like you yeah. and your body is dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, 
I want to kind of end this conversation because I could talk about it for a, a long time. Um, mm. I want to talk about like ways that people who don't have kids, perhaps party aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I bet you are the most fun party aunt, Dr. Heather. I actually really am. I buy <laughs> only, I, I, I don't care. I own it because I buy like the most fun things for children especially oh. babies, like sunglasses, right? Like, is your mom going to oh, buy your wow. sunglasses? No, but I will. Or fedora. Like, come on. Oh. <laughs> and then I'm like, take pictures, send them to me, preferably when I'm having a long shift, so I can laugh <laughs> and then be like, I'm amazing <laughs> at dressing babies. It's my so that, like, that is like one awesome way that people who don't have children can support parents. Like, show, send them something that doesn't make music. Nothing. <laughs> Don't send noisy gifts. Although we do have a lot of noisy gifts for Juniper because we're we're like she's gonna like music, and it's just <laughs> I'm preparing for like eight years of just noise. Um, but uh, you know that was that's one thing that I before I had kids. Sometimes I felt like I didn't quite know what to do when like a friend of mine had a kid. Like, how do I better support you, Kara? Like right after you gave birth to your babies, like what was the best way that your friends and family could support you? Well, it's so appropriate that Miss Megan Gailey is on this podcast with me today, finally, after being star-crossed on Hysteria for so long. (laughs) Um, Megan was like a huge support to me when I had my first baby because my husband did have to go out of town when my baby was two weeks old. (laughs) So um, he got like a work opportunity that he had to take. And so he left for nine weeks when my baby was two weeks old. And so I was just kind of like, and then I went back to work at five weeks. So I, I did have some hired help, but just having friends that will just be like, what are you doing? I'm just going to come over and sit with you. Like, I'm like, you know, not like, hey, we're doing this. Come over, bring the baby. Like, it's mm-hmm. really hard to bring the fucking baby. The baby needs to nap every hour. <laughs> like, you have to whip your boobs out all the time. Like, it's just not ideal. So it's really just nice. And and obviously there's people that are like, no, get out of my space. I don't want anybody here for like two months or whatever. For me, I really just liked somebody coming and saying like, let me sit with you and we'll have a glass of wine while the baby's sleeping or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or while the baby's awake, I'll come hold the baby so you can take a shower. Exactly like what you're saying your postpartum doula is doing, you know, like stuff like that I just think is so nice. Or just even text messages. If you live far away from someone that has a baby, just like checking in. How's it going? How's how's the bit ba- like, you know, it's just nice to have people feel like they you they didn't like just forget about you because you're holed up inside like taking care of this other person, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's that's great. Um, Megan, uh, besides being Kara's child's dad, essentially, <laughs> um, what what are some other ways? It sounds like you've been pretty well versed and well rehearsed in like helping people after they've had kids. Like, what are some things that you've found really meant a lot to people? I always send food gift certificates. Mm. Like oh, yeah. You the, sent us a food gift certificate. Yeah. When the baby first comes, I'll send like a, you know, I know they're evil, but, you know, like a Postmates or if it's like <laughs> a special restaurant they love. Because I guess even with Postmates, it's like you can get anything. You know, like you can go to 7-Eleven and get M&Ms and whatever you want. So I'll do that and... Yeah, I mean, that was a major expense I just didn't even think about when I got pregnant is because my first trimester was so bad and I was the, I'm the person in our house who does the shopping and the cooking because I like it, not because I've folded to the patriarchy. (laughs) And so then it was like, well, I couldn't open the fridge without gagging. So it was like, 
okay, we have to order food every single night. And that's an expense that I hadn't even thought of. So I think in addition to like the baby needing stuff, there's also stuff that the parents need. And um, I love when people have given me gifts now and there's like a baby thing in there and then there's something for me too, like a bath bomb or a lotion. I think that's really thoughtful. Our good friend Allison was like, you have enough baby gifts and sent me like a robe and like um, under eye gel like things. And so it's... (laughs) It is nice to get a gift like when you're in the middle of opening like a thousand gifts for a baby Ugh, something yes. for you. Yes, I'm like jealous of this unborn baby. He has, like more <laughs> sneakers than I do now. I'm like, enough, enough. I want something. <laughs> um, Dr. Irabunda, how besides like sending fedoras, which is very, very <laughs> cute, um, what are some ways that uh, people who don't have children can support new parents? I totally agree with like, stopping by if people are okay with it and checking in on people because as fun auntie, I've definitely had to do that. And like people are in different phases of things. And what I noticed too, when I have um, people come to see me in the office is that there is a level of loneliness that happens. And also you're trying to figure out, I guess, a new identity or like a morphed identity. I actually had this discussion with a few patients recently and one of my best friends because she has an 18 month old so COVID baby hardcore and Mm -hmm. she's like I have had she's like I don't know if it's the COVID like you know isolation or if it's just the fact that I have an 18 month old but I feel like I've just been by myself and I don't know who I am anymore and things. Mm -hmm. And so I think just, you know, little ways of telling people that, hey, you're still a person, you're not just so-and-so's mom, (laughs) like is really meaningful to a lot of people and asking people if there's anything they, you know, you can do for them or like, you know, being weird and just like, Semi showing up, I do that unannounced <laughs> with a fedora <laughs> for the baby. Oh my god, I want to get because it's Juniper funny for us. <laughs> oh yeah, I want to get Juniper a fedora. Oh, dressing them in outfits is like one of the most fun it. things. Like during the first month where I was like, ah, like sad and didn't want to see anybody and all that stuff. Out, the outfit was like the highlight of my day where I'm like, ooh, I'm going to put her in tiny little jeans today. Oh, like, that's uh, the thing. I'm yeah. like, I'm obsessed with, with pockets. It. Yeah. Yes. She's got stuff. She's yeah. got stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or like little purses. Like I've seen, yeah. yeah. I, get, like, I look, every time I get something, I go, where is he going? <laughs> what is, is he going to the LA Phil? The I'm sneakers sorry. is so funny because I like truly did not put a pair of shoes on my kid until she was like a year old. Maybe. Well, yeah. Like, you're getting so many kids. I've got a pair of kid. Jordans for yes. an infant looking at me yes. right now. And it's like, is yes. he going on a date? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, these, those are the gifts I give. I, I think they're hilarious. And I'm like, please send me a picture. Like, you yeah. don't know. This like makes my day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, man, that is uh, giving me some ideas for gifts to give Megan Gailey's future son. (laughs) No, Megan, I'll send you, like, the same awesome pajamas that I send all my friends because they're, like, awesome pajamas are so important to look after. Um, Okay, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty.
right, we are back. We are almost at the end of the show. Alyssa Mastermonico has rejoined the group. Uh, we're going to talk I Feel Petty. Megan, do you want to go first? Yes. And I'm asking for recommendations in this too. So it's obviously Omicron time. I'm six months pregnant. I'm not doing a lot. So I've been watching movies, which I don't usually do. And I've gotten my screeners, everything streaming. And I got to say, I have been underwhelmed by the films that everyone's like, this is so good. Licorice Pizza. I was blown I didn't out of like my it. mind. I'm like, we're rooting for this 25-year-old woman to be the 15-year-old. I got shit to do, but I actually don't have anything to do. You know, so then I'm just on my phone being upset at a movie. Uh, so Tick, Tick, Boom, I thought was good. I didn't think it was life-changing. I really, I, I loved Belfast, but I think it's because I saw it in the theater and I used to live in Belfast and it's like, look at me. So I <laughs> I just feel like this season of films have been underwhelming, not great. I don't know if I should blame COVID or if there's men to blame. Happy to do that. So if you have movies that you've seen that you've been like, this is so great, please let me know because I'm I'm watching um, <laughs> season three of Real Housewives of Miami, which came out 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, uh, I started um, watching Real Housewives. Yes, I know. And I'm watching Yellow Jackets. I am watching Yellow Jackets. Just started um, it. Yeah, two oh. episodes in. I'm definitely having to close my eyes at points um, for yeah. things, bones and stuff. Don't eat while you're watching that show. Okay, um. well, I'm eating constantly, so that is <laughs> difficult. Um, I did once eat a chicken pesto panini while watching It Follows. So, you know, I will power through. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, I guess the cannibalism kind of like like ratchets it up. A notch. Yeah, you know, true, true, It's true. more, it's like the, can I eat while I watch it challenge? Yeah. Cannibalism is like the highest I, I'm not going to eat a kebab for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys heard that. If you know of any good movies that came out this year, let Megan Gailey know because she's underwhelmed. All right. Here's the thing I'm feeling petty about this week. I'm feeling petty about Diamonds. Diamonds. Um, they are not a girl's best friend. I think that at best they are a girl's friend from high school that she sometimes checks in on on Instagram and is like, oh, that stupid bitch. Um, but here's why I'm thinking about diamonds this week. So this week, Bloomberg Opinion tweeted out a story um, that contained this phrase. Diamonds grown in a lab don't conjure up quite the same emotions as natural diamonds do. The source on this piece of opinion story was De Beers, as in the diamond conglomerate. <laughs> so it was basically like, <laughs> look... Look, I diamonds have a hugely problematic history, especially mined diamonds. And lab-grown diamonds are actually an ethical way to get stones that don't have flaws in them without, like, exploiting people and, and raping the earth. Um, but, yeah, the fact that Bloomberg Opinion put that piece out that was like, di turns out diamonds that are grown in a lab make ladies sad is just what I'm feeling petty about this week. If you are a publication, do not allow a diamond to write a story about how you should use mined diamonds and jewelry instead of farmed or grown diamonds. I just, I find the whole thing so like ridiculous. Like, come on, come on. Anyway, that's what I'm feeling petty about this week. Uh, Alyssa, do you want to go next? Sure. Here's what I feel petty about. Um, obviously, it's after the holidays. I spend a lot of time watching cooking shows as one does, but- there weren't a lot of new Ina Garten episodes on, so I branched out to watch other people. And cooks, chefs, whoever you are, 
that make meatballs play with meat or knead dough with jewelry on your fingers, that is <gasps> disgusting. And either someone cleans your jewelry for you, which is also kind of just crap, like, or like, what are you like soaking your rings every time you're done making bread? I don't know. I, it's, I've noticed it for years. It was out of control. Someone had these like long nails. These, oh. these are short nails. They had long nails and they had jewelry on. And it's like, it's why you have a soap dish in the kitchen. You take your rings off, you put them down, you fucking make your dough, you roll your meatballs, you wash your hands, you use O'Keefe's working hands to get that sheen back. And then you put your jewelry back on. So anyway, <laughs> I think the chef, if she were listening, would know who I'm talking to right now. But I'll keep it to myself. Just like if you're on television, fucking take your rings off, keep your nails short. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that is so gross. I mean, jewelry on your hands in general, unless you're washing your hands a lot, can be kind of gross. Yeah. I guess if you think about it. I guess we're all germaphobes now, huh? Kind of. But I just really felt it was egregious. Like there was no way that in her pave ring that like the dough wasn't (laughs) stuck there for a good long time. Thank you, Dr. Heather, for feeling that with me. That was so disgusting. Kara looks like she's frozen in the, like, grimace emoji (laughs) face. You know, like, where their mouth Both of your I feel petties are why I don't have a diamond engagement ring. It's why I asked (laughs) not to have one. (laughs) Um, But I guess I will... Okay, so I tried to keep my I feel petty on the topic of of child stuff. Um, Also, it's the only thing that's really going on (laughs) with me. Um, But... Okay, so I'm in a mom group on Facebook and, you know, there's lots there. But I will say there's like there's a couple people in this mom group that are always sly bragging on their kids and it's just like just come out and brag. Like don't be don't write a post where you're like is it weird that my 2-year-old knows how to ride a bike already? Is that developmentally appropriate? <laughs> like, oh my god, call a doctor. Your kid knows how to ride a bike? Oh my gosh. Like, you're in this group truly asking if it's okay that your kid learned a skill early? Like, what? Like just like I don't know. Hey guys, my kid knows how to ride a bike. Where do I get a good helmet? Like, what? I don't understand what you're trying to do. Like just by acting like it's so weird and crazy to try to like garner a co- like compliments or something. I don't know, but it's um I feel petty about it and you guys got to stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been trying to I've been like extra sensitive to that because every parent is like, "My kid is actually exceptional." And it's like, "Well, Maybe in a couple things, but overall, yeah. it all kind of comes My out My daughter the wash. talks so much. She's very, very verbal for her age. She cannot use a scooter. She cannot do many, many things physically. Like, <laughs> so what, I mean, yeah, she's my child, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're my daughter all... babbles constantly at a kind of young age for babbling, cries every tummy time. Yeah. Like, oh, every tummy time. It's just like the time. world is ending. Yeah. No tummy time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's close with Dr. Irabunda. What do you feel petty about? I feel petty about being an essential worker right now in the age <laughs> of Omicron, where maybe our healthcare system may be on the verge of collapse and pretty much most social things, right? Because, like, it's one of those things where it's like we knew this was probably going to happen, right? And we're not that prepared again. But really and truly, it's more so like, I'm kind of jealous of all you people who get to work from home and I can't 
See, my GYN patients from home, unfortunately, you can't really do like pap smears from the house. I mean, you can, but it's creepy (laughs) and it's weird. And so I'm not allowed to do it. And so it's like, yeah, I'm feeling kind of petty about having to go back out every day and see patients and do these things. Because it's like, I kind of want to like not have to wear real clothes. (laughs) I want to put on real clothes. I really (laughs) love to have to leave and do something that would be cool. Um, I have like one pair of pants that I just like will wear three days in a row and I'll just put them on my dresser when I'm done with them and then just like put them back on the next day. There you go. Um, So maybe we can do like a Freaky Friday life switching type thing. I know. I'm like, you can definitely come and hang out with the pregnant peeps and, you know, do some paps. I can teach you. I can train you. <laughs> Ask some people some questions. Catch some babies. I don't know how everyone else will feel about it, but I feel like <laughs> those of us who are essential workers need a break. We need a break. Yeah, it's we like to work from home, maybe just for a little bit. It's like when you go see your OBGYN and they're like, "Hey, I have an I have an intern with me today, or like a resident <laughs> with me today," and you're just like, "I have a podcaster here with me today. Is it okay if she can do that?" <laughs> Can she just, like, do the whole thing? <laughs> She's observing. She's going to give you I, your pap. Yeah, I'll be, like, actually Skyping in. So, like, <laughs> I'll be, like, t- I'll be telling her what to do. I'm just at home. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Every All the meetings are going to take place in the metaverse yes. in, like, three years, according to True. some guy who doesn't understand how <laughs> technologically inept most Americans are. Yeah. Um Okay. Guys, this was so fun. I, guys, this was so fun. I am so happy to be back. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you, Dr. Heather Irabunda, for coming by. Thank, thank you, Kara, for coming by. Thanks to Megan Gailey. And uh, thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. What these girls got to fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. <laughs> 